Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. If you enjoy The Huddle, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. I'm Patty Scalzo, Director of Diabetes Technology Initiatives at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today, we're with Dr. Ali Sinar, the Director of the Engineering Center for Diabetes Research and Education at the Illinois Institute of Technology, and we're discussing artificial intelligence, machine learning, and their use in artificial pancreas systems. Dr. Sinar will briefly explain what artificial intelligence and machine learning are, and will discuss some challenges that can arise with their use. He will provide an update about the use of AI and ML in the artificial pancreas system, and Dr. Sinar will share pearls regarding AI and ML for the diabetes care and education specialist and members of the care team to employ in their practice. Welcome to the huddle, Dr. Sinar. Could you please share a bit with us about how you became involved in artificial intelligence and machine learning in regard to diabetes devices? Thank you for the invitation and for a warm welcome. I am basically a systems engineer with a chemical engineering background. Throughout my career, I have used both AI techniques and machine learning techniques in process monitoring process control type of applications. And over the years, as I have focused on healthcare-related problems, then it was a natural set of tools to use. And I have focused more on uh, multivariable approaches in uh, dealing with determining the behavior patterns of individuals with type 1 diabetes. And notice, let's say, the differences between their weekday behavior versus weekend or summer versus winter. And also, I've used these techniques in automated insulin delivery without any manual inputs by relying on AI and machine learning tools. So AI and ML really started with diabetes devices with the insulin pump and the artificial pancreas, didn't it? Uh, It was uh, closer in the toolbox of people who had that uh, automatic control applications in mind. So it was a natural entry point, but certainly there are many other applications that are quite fertile for use of artificial intelligence or machine learning techniques. And I think the community is beginning to use them as we speak. Yeah, so we hear a lot about AI and ML today, don't we? And I know our diabetes care and education specialist members would really love to hear more about it. So could you briefly explain what AI and ML actually means? 
Well, uh, they are actually a set of algorithms that would uh, discover, first of all, patterns in data. So they really use uh, the availability of high-quality data in discovering these patterns. And then once the different patterns are discovered, they could classify the behaviors. And then one can use the current data to predict the future behavior and also suggest actions to mitigate undesirable behavior like eliminating the effect of physical activity on blood glucose drop if one is able to detect that someone is indeed beginning to exercise uh, that will cause such a drop in glucose levels. But certainly it has also several other applications. And the critical point is that good data is critical. Otherwise, it's garbage in, garbage out. (laughs) That makes sense. So could you share with us some examples of some machine learning in action? Sure. For example, we can start with harvesting information that's available in various national level databases to discover, let's say, the drugs that are effective and the treatments that are appropriate for a disease and specific uh, variants of that disease. And from there, one can develop a catalog of the most effective approaches for that particular disease and for that particular type of patient. If we go at another level, image analysis is a, a very good area where the automated devices or automated systems can detect the patterns in various images that are taken, uh, let's say, in a mammogram, and make a good catalog based on that. And they would relate the features of the images to the diagnosis made by the human radiologist, and then the follow-up treatments and uh, biopsies and so on that have taken place, so that whenever a new case is considered, then the radiologist would have this tool available to provide additional input saying, well, if the pattern is like this, in the 97 cases that we have looked at out of 100, uh, this was a benign tumor versus this other uh, slight change in that pattern is indicative of a case where 80% of the time it was a malignant tumor. So that can be related then to the best treatments that have been successful for those cases. So there is going to be a whole set of advice uh, provided as guidance to the human decision maker with a, a large database that has been analyzed and is at the disposal of the decision maker. And I would imagine with fine-tuning that every rendition would get better and better over time. Uh, Yes. And then uh, there is, of course, the digital healthcare for personalized treatment and the use of uh, automated insulin delivery and artificial pancreas was going to be one way to see how the AI and ML techniques can directly communicate with the individual as opposed to through providing assistance to the 
medical decision maker. And of course, the artificial pancreas is something that our members are so interested in and the use of AI and ML around the artificial pancreas. Could you tell us a little bit more about what's going on in that field right now? Well, as far as the artificial pancreas is concerned, we have many good products right now that rely on information received uh, from a continuous glucose monitoring device. And they also require uh, manual inputs from the user for meal information or input again on physical activities that the user is planning to perform. But one can use the availability of machine learning to capture the patterns of behavior and rely on the habits of that individual to facilitate this decision-making. In addition to that, uh, the wearable devices are becoming more and more accepted and widespread for use. So the CGM information can be paired with all of these additional wearable device information, either to discover the patterns or for real-time decision-making. And we need to be very careful there in making sure that it's a comprehensive decision-making based on a lot of data, as opposed to making uh, some shortcuts and assumptions that would uh, uh, not be very useful. So how close do you think we're getting to the artificial pancreas technology being able to do auto-detection of exercise with the use of these wearables? As far as the research stage is concerned, uh, we are there. The research group that I have been uh, leading and part of in terms of collaboration with some clinical researchers, we have done both software development and clinical experiments where by using a wearable device and getting information that enables us to detect not only the beginning of the exercise, but also the intensity of the exercise and, in fact, the type of physical activity, we are able to uh, use better forecasts on how the glucose will be affected and provide some mitigation before the glucose value has changed. And that's the critical difference. When people are using just the CGM values, glucose has to start being affected by exercise in order to initiate the mitigation. But by detecting the physical activity from measurable variables uh, from wearable devices, you could detect it as soon as exercise started. And here, the clear distinction is, yes, people can provide this manual information when they have exercise activity that is programmed. If they're going to go to their daily run, they could make this adjustment. But if there is an emergency situation, they don't have time to inform their artificial pancreas about the physical activity. They just do the activity. And then uh, the consequences would be felt with the uh, blood glucose variations, but the system is not aware of the activity to make uh, some mitigation uh, beforehand. So that would be one critical issue to use of additional variables uh, from wearable devices that are socially acceptable today, like wristbands, and uh, get a far better picture of what is happening 
in the body, in the daily life of that person in real time. And so the wristbands that you're using in, in the research laboratory area, are they large? Are they small, like the size of a watch? How big are they? They are uh, of the size of a regular sports uh, wristband uh, manufactured by companies like Garmin or Fitbit or of the size of the Apple Watch at this point. Hmm. Uh, We just have a few sensors that those devices don't have yet, but we're hoping that by showing the added value of having those sensors in the future product lines, uh, some of those sensors can be incorporated as well. So do you think that the fully automated insulin delivery system, artificial pancreas, will be commercially available soon? The commercial availability would be made by decisions from the uh, regulatory agencies. But as far as having the technology to do so, I think there is enough evidence that this kind of an advancement uh, would certainly be beneficial and would be reliable enough to provide uh, the next level of uh, automated insulin delivery systems that will be fully automated as opposed to expecting manual entries from the user. It's so exciting. And you've been in this field for a number of years now. So you've been able to see these changes as they occur. This must be very exciting for you to see it getting closer and closer. That's definitely true. When we started the work, there were no wristbands. We were using some armbands that were providing very good data. And uh, they were good for clinical experiments, but they were not good for everyday use. But the advances in wearable technologies and emerging the data that's being uh, generated by these devices with AI and machine learning techniques have enabled us to uh, detect uh, quite a few things that affect the blood glucose concentrations. And the focus has been more on exercise, but uh, now we're moving into detecting acute psychological stress. We are also using the AI and ML techniques to look at the effects of sleep. So it is not just the use of these uh, measurements for one specific activity, but to assess the state of the person day and night for 24 hours a day and providing very timely interventions to mitigate the effects of anything that's going to affect the blood glucose level in a way that would lead to hyperglycemia or hypoglycemia. Such a wonderful evolution. Are there still in your mind a lot of challenges with this technology? Uh, Yes, because both machine learning and uh, AI tools rely on uh, data. And any missing values, any outliers, any, uh, let's say, irregularities in the data may cause some uh, decisions or some conclusions that are not in line with the reality. Uh, A typical example was when people were using the AI for driverless cars the software was able to recognize the stop sign, but they have added uh, to the stop sign a few post-it uh, size uh, pieces of paper 
and it recognized that as a speed limit uh, 45 miles. Oh, that's uh, a terrible yeah. problem. <laughs> so, uh, one, we have to have data that are all inclusive, and two, we have to make sure that these data are pre-filtered very rapidly and any missing values are estimated and reconciled, any outliers are missing and are reconciled, so that we have the full picture at the raw data level in order to utilize all of that information in decision-making. That makes sense. So what do you think members of the healthcare team can really do to prepare themselves for this future with AI and ML? Well, uh, the first thing to realize is that we had uh, technology changes in several fields. I don't think that anybody is reminiscing uh, the days with a rotary phone or just simple push-button phone now that we have our smartphones where we could do a lot more. (laughs) But that also required us to learn how to use the new system. A rotary phone was simple. You just uh, use your finger to do the dialing. But with the smartphone, we have quite a few other options, and one has to make use of additional knowledge and additional, uh, let's say, uh, sequence of operations in order to achieve the goal that they needed. So continuous education is going to be a necessity, and Uh, There is also the other side uh, where people are concerned that these devices will replace them. Yes, we hear that, don't we? Yes, I don't think that uh, software can provide the empathy and the comfort as a trained individual can. And especially a person who is recently diagnosed with diabetes needs all that empathy and comfort and the ability to recognize the things that would provide a good uh, support system for that individual. It's nice to know that our diabetes care and education specialists aren't going to be replaced. (laughs) Uh, True, but they have to renew their knowledge and their toolkit in a way so that they will have the opportunity to get better information uh, from data that have been collected from this uh, newly diagnosed person, let's say in the first week, if they have used the CGM, if they have used a wearable device, having the ability to have that raw data be interpreted and be made available to the care specialist or to the educator so that this person knows not only how life was for that individual, but uh, for people who had similar patterns of behavior, similar uh, degrees of advancement in the disease, uh, what worked, and then facing this individual for a meeting or for an education equipped with that additional information uh, would probably facilitate uh, the task and also increase the effectiveness that the care specialist uh, would provide. That makes sense. So one of our new roles really then would be to translate or utilize that information and data that comes from the machine learning and interpret that 
in a clinical scenario with our person with diabetes. Exactly. Yeah. And the members of the care team would learn new technology to enhance their contributions. So uh, that's uh, uh, part of the lifelong learning that we are advising to everybody. And I think that the care specialists and educators are in the front line because a lot of people who are diagnosed with diabetes and start using these devices, they use it only at a minimum level without realizing the full potential of these devices, how downloading their information uh, regularly will help providing some summary information, not only to the care specialist, but also to the medical doctor or any other family member that has to pay attention to the daily activities of that individual. So uh, that education is both ways. As the care specialists learn how to use these systems better and move uh, from just looking at data to interpreting that knowledge that is based on data interpreted for them in advance, they will also be able to demonstrate to the patient how being diligent about this data collection and sharing will facilitate their own care and the quality of their own care. Well, that sounds great. And I think the diabetes care and education specialists are ready to embrace their role in working with this new technology. Do you have some practice pearls you'd like to share with us and leave us with today? Uh, One, I think people need to look at the cases in a comprehensive manner. One simple example is uh, some people were thinking that if you have... Uh, let's say, heart rate information, one can detect physical activity. Well, that is true. If you know that this person is doing exercising, uh, it's a confirmation. But if you have an elevated heart rate, it may be caused by just psychological stressful event as opposed to a physical activity. And the way stress and exercise affect blood glucose level is in opposite directions. And I'm just giving that information so that people should keep an open mind and be comprehensive as opposed to just relying on one single indicator that may mislead them. Yes. But overall, they should look at the integrity and the appropriateness of the data. They should trust but verify uh, what is going on, and they should embrace the technology and make sure that uh, it's appropriate for the intended use and not be pushed uh, beyond the limits of practice for uh, the intended use. Thank you for sharing those practice pearls. Those, Those are very helpful for all of us. And I know you provided uh, some resources for our listeners to go to at the end of the podcast to learn more. And if you have any other resources, uh, please let us know. I will try to look into some uh, recent publications that would be informative and not, uh, let's say, exhaustive, uh, because uh, one of the documents that I shared is one of my own papers uh, where the audience can uh, certainly disregard the equations that are there because it is full of equations. But just by looking at the figures and the general direction of the discussion, 
it would be easy to figure out how we're using the AI and ML technologies in better decision-making about uh, insulin dosage. Yes, thank you for sharing that article. It's very good. I appreciate your time with us today, Dr. Sinar. This has been a fascinating conversation. Do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share? I think that both care specialists and educators uh, are doing a fantastic job in making people feel comfortable with a disease that they can treat and keep their blood glucose levels in range. And uh, certainly the influence of the members of your community is a critical component in convincing people with diabetes that they should not fear, but uh, accept the challenge and do the right things and listen to their care specialists' advice and have a life that has a good quality of life and uh, keep their blood glucose in range all the time so that they could enjoy uh, a long and happy life. And I really appreciate the role that the members of your community are playing in making that happen. Thank you so much, Dr. Sinar. And we certainly appreciate your role in the research and evolution of the artificial pancreas. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today, we heard from Dr. Ali Sinar, Director of the Engineering Center for Diabetes Research and Education at the Illinois Institute of Technology. Dr. Sinar provided an overview of artificial intelligence and machine learning and challenges with their use. He also discussed the use of AI and ML in the artificial pancreas and shared some practice pearls for the diabetes care and education specialist and members of the care team to put into practice with regard to AI and ML. Please be sure to check out the show notes for additional resources. Membership at ADCES gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. 